This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive, and the wills to do that which you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And we are told to pay attention to these signs. But what if we don't know how to read them? What if the signs seem contradictory? When we consider the signs of our times, pandemic, climate change, corruption, violence, refugee crises, famines, wildflowers, wildfires, floods, etc., we might be tempted to despair. And our gospel passage this morning presents an additional difficulty for us when we read in verse 32, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. But that was written 2,000 years ago, and here we all are. So what are we to make of this? Part of the key to understanding this passage from Luke's gospel is to realize that it straddles two different distinctive sets of events with different signs that go with each. Prior to where we picked up in the gospel this morning, Jesus had been with his disciples at the temple. In the course of their conversation, Jesus warns the disciples to look out for false messiahs. And he had said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus then tells them that before all this, they will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And we now know, before that gener generation had passed away, the unthinkable came to pass. In AD 70, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. In his discussion with the disciples, Jesus then turned to more signs, the signs that we began with today in the sun and the moon and the stars. These are the signs that will precede Christ's coming again. In this case, there will be no mistaking what is happening. Jesus, quoting from the Old Testament prophet Daniel, says, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. So there are two sets of prophecies tied up in these verses. One relates to the destruction of Jerusalem, the other to the coming again of Jesus. The first was fulfilled in history in AD 70. The second has not yet happened. But what are we to make of all this today? What difference should it make to us? First, we need to heed the warnings that are contained here. Jesus warned his first hearers about what was facing Jerusalem. God's kingdom had come near. Indeed, that's what Jesus proclaimed. 
That's what he was doing. He would tell people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, as we know, God's own city, Jerusalem, by and large, rejected that message and instead seized Jesus and crucified him. Part of the fulfillment of the kingdom was then seen in the destruction of Jerusalem. That message of repentance, however, turning from sin and selfishness and turning to Jesus for forgiveness and new life is still the essential message for all of us today. Furthermore, there is a wonderful and terrible day coming. We heard about it in our Old Testament reading from Zechariah. That was a tough passage. It's hard to hear that stuff. It will be a terrible day because of the violence, depravity, and destruction. It will be a wonderful day because the Lord himself will fight and win and reign forever. It will be a day of reckoning and a day of justice. The timing of that day is known only to God. And in the meantime, we wait. This, of course, is one of the great themes of Advent. Waiting. Waiting for Jesus to return. Waiting for wrongs to be put right. Waiting for justice. Waiting as we long and yearn for things to be different. As I told the children, I don't like waiting. I never have, and I suspect I never will. I don't mind waiting for Christmas, but I find it difficult waiting for God to act in the ways in which I think he should act, and according to my timetable rather than his. I know that God is sovereign. I know that Christ is our king. I know that he abounds in mercy and that he's full of grace. And yet my experience, and perhaps yours as well, is that more often than not, we find ourselves waiting, waiting to hear from God, waiting for relief or release, waiting for all kinds of things. And that's hard. Now, of course, I'm able to do all sorts of things to avoid the discomfort of waiting rather than sit with the tension of waiting, not knowing, wondering how long. We may opt for distractions. I wonder if you are waiting somewhere for something, even for just a few moments, what do you usually do? This is not a rhetorical question. What do you do? Exactly. You get out your cell phone. You do. I know you do. <laughs> According to a two-year-old study, 2019 study, Americans check their phones on average every 10 minutes. That's 96 times a day. And those figures are 20% more than they were two years before. And they're two years out of date, so it's probably worse. Every moment of our connected lives is filled. But what if we took time to wait, to be present in the moment without reaching for this? What if we were fully present to the tensions that waiting 
creates. What if instead of distraction, we use the time to do a simple examine, like we did in our parish retreat. Those of you who are there remember, we, we did it actually in three different ways. We reflected on the 12 hours just passed. We reflected on the kind of pandemic season, which we're still waiting for it to end, um, and reflecting on our whole lives. But, you know, even if you're waiting in traffic or in a line or wherever, we could take a moment to reflect on that time, maybe seeing those around us and maybe praying for those around us. Well, Advent is a good time to practice this kind of behavior. When you have to wait and you face loss or disappointment, know that the kingdom of God is near. One commentator writes, hope invites us to look at our waitings from the grand perspective of God's eternal purposes. Let me say that again. Hope invites us to look at our waitings from the grand perspective of God's eternal purposes. Sometimes in our waiting for God to act or in our waiting for Jesus to come and restore and heal, to bring justice or help, we do get tempted to despair. I think we're kind of naturally inclined to impatience. And what we may see most clearly around us might be the signs of absence or destruction. And what we don't always see, however, and it's true, it's there, is that God is at work, whether we immediately see that and know that or not. Just like we can't see the seeds that have been planted in the ground, and if we did see them, they'd look dead, we don't know, and we can't see, rather, that they're germinating and waiting to burst forth in springtime. Indeed, as we head into winter, it will seem as if everything's getting worse in nature. The leaves have fallen. The snow has started. But does that mean no more green shoots, no more flowers to look for ever? Well, of course it doesn't. And Jesus said to the disciples, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already here. In our world, in our nation, in our personal lives, we're confronted every day with all sorts of signs. And often these signs are of things that are broken in the world. But to what or to whom do the signs of brokenness, of poverty and despair, of loneliness, of unfairness, to whom or to what do they point? They may at one level, certainly they do, point to the fact that we live in a fallen world, yes. But they can also point us to the one who gives us hope. Jesus speaks into our waiting and our longing and our wondering. In verse 34 of today's gospel, Jesus says, Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness in the worries of this life. The word dissipation encompasses debauchery, decadence, wasteful expenditure, excess, and overconsumption. It's kind of what happens in 
unchecked living and spending that so often marks the run-up to Christmas. Jesus' word to us to be careful not to let these things weigh us down is accompanied in verse 36 by an exhortation. So rather than that, do this. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I wonder what might God be saying to us about how alert we really are. So bombarded are we by noise and images through media and social media that while we may think we are hyper-connected and alert to so many different things, in reality, we may be seriously disconnected and effectively asleep to what is going on all around us. Being attentive to God, sorry, rather, being inattentive to God, being inattentive to others, being inattentive to the signs all around us is dangerous. The call to be alert and to pray is at the very heart of this Advent season. Advent is about waiting and hoping as we anticipate Christ's final coming, when we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Advent reminds us that God has plotted a point on the horizon of history, a day in time when Christ will come again. Advent is also about Christ coming to be with us now. We're not left abandoned in limbo, in some kind of no man's land between Christ's first coming and Christ coming again. For Christ has promised to be with us now, in and through and by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, even as we wait, even as we struggle to keep on hoping. While the signs of the times indicate that our world is spinning ever more out of control, and while the day of Christ inevitably draws closer, our epistle reading reminds us how we are to live our lives and be the people of God while we wait. The Apostle Paul thanks God for the faith of the Christians at Thessalonica, particularly in the face of, their, of opposition and temptation. His prayer for them is that the Lord would make their love increase. That the Lord would make their love overflow for each other and that he would strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of God when Jesus comes again. That is a good prayer for us to claim and pray. Our hearts need strengthening. My heart needs strengthening. I need more faith. I need to increase my love for others. These are some of the things we can pray this Advent for ourselves, for our households, for one another. 
Christ's first coming and the fact that he will come again call us to live lives that are holy, lives that are set apart and dedicated first and foremost to God. When I think about tragic events that we see all the time, or when I consider the chaos and the pain of, of broken lives, even, frankly, just as I look out from the pulpit. There are days when I feel overwhelmed. There are days when I feel helpless. But it is in precisely those times that we need to encourage one another and remind one another of the truths of the gospel. Every time you have done that for me, you have blessed me. I hope every time you've done that for one another, you have known that blessing. What if we took to heart Christ's call to be alert and to pray? What if we prayed like St. Paul prayed for the Christians in Thessalonica? Then our waiting can be turned to hoping. Then our faith will be strengthened. The day of the Lord is coming. As the prophet Zechariah reminds us this morning, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. Righteousness is coming. Righteousness will reign. There will be justice. There will. Death will be no more. Mourning will be done away with. Pain will be no more. Come, Lord Jesus. As we wait and as we hope for that coming day, let us model for others glimpses of all that we hope for, of all that we long for, of all that is good, all that is holy, all that is honorable. And let us do that today. Advent waiting is Advent hoping. It's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting. A waiting and hoping that is marked by love in action. I wonder, who are the people God is calling you to love? Who do you know who is or feels marginalized, neglected, or unloved? To whom will you show God's love this week? As we say each week, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And as we wait for his coming again, we are to hope and watch and pray. God calls us to be a worshipping community, grounded in love for God and for one another. He wants us to share Christ's healing with others in this broken world. I say this often and I say it again without apology. One of my deepest desires and continued prayers for Church of the Ascension is that people will know us above all else by our love. This then is one way we can keep a holy advent. And I rejoice and give thanks that many here are already living examples of this kind of of living. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Some of you teach in difficult classrooms. 
Keep on pouring out God's love. Others work in the hospitals or doctor's offices in the face of pandemic or poverty or addiction. Others are serving the least and the lost and the poor. As we care for a sick relative, as we return disappointment with hope, unfaithfulness with kindness, despair with trust, hatred with love. These are some of the ways that we can actively wait and hope for our Lord's return. This is the real stuff of waiting and hoping. This is how we prepare ourselves and others for Christ's coming again. So then this Advent, let us prepare our hearts, examine them, take an honest inventory of what we find there, and then let us present ourselves before God for cleansing, for forgiveness, for renewing, for equipping. In this season of Advent, we add to our liturgy the prayer of humble access. It's one of my favorite prayers in the prayer book. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We're not worthy. We're not worthy to gather up the crumbs under the table. We're not. And yet Christ is in his character to be merciful to us. The signs of the times and the fruit of this age are plain to see. And they include those things that Christ warned can so easily weigh us down and oppress us. The dissipation and the drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And yet, the signs of the kingdom of God, the fruit of Christ coming into our lives today, are also manifest in our midst. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you see the signs of the times, prepare for the day when Christ will come again. Each day, prepare a place in your heart for Christ to come by his Spirit to dwell in you, to change you, to draw you closer to him so that others may see and experience the good news of Jesus, even in you. And so this morning, I invite you to keep a holy Advent. Amen.